0: listen. Those are the drums of liberty. Are you better off now than you were two years ago? Wow, how quickly has this administration failed most Americans? Let's talk about it on this Liberty Minute. Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David, and welcome back to another Liberty Minute. The number one question most Americans are asking each other and themselves is what in the heck is happening to our country to which many answer big government socialism doesn't work and it will never work and most Americans are starting to understand that concept in fact they know our anti-catholic catholic president Joe Biden Never tells the truth. And that the country as a whole, having just gone through a horrific COVID-19 pandemic, is going in a direction which spells failure. Failure is written all over it. Now, how many nations have failed throughout world history? And should the United States be any different? Well... We actually explore that concept and that question in our Mojo Academy. Just last weekend, we published our latest Audio Academy review, America's Expiration Date, The Fall of Empires, Superpowers, and the Future of the United States, book written by Cal Thomas. And we explore, along with the author Cal Thomas, should America be any different? Or will America suffer the fate of other great superpowers of world history? It's an important question. And it's also our 18th Academy Review book review. And so what do you get with these uh, uh, Audio Academy Reviews? Well, for this example, you get 50 minutes, over 50 minutes. us here at the Mojo Academy breaking down the key points and the major takeaways from the book, and you get it in audio format, kind of like a Liberty Minute or a Mojo Minute. But on steroids, you get five or six major nuggets of wisdom. So you can feel that you've completely understood the book. You're functioning at the top of your game. And like I said, we have 18 of these audio book reviews in our library and we add more each and every month. So once you join us today at teammojoacademy.com and click on the member button to subscribe. And also we have bonus episodes that we're putting up throughout the month, each month. So again, put theory into action and help yourself to get more wisdom in less time. Join us today at teammojoacademy Dot com. Now back to big government socialism not working. Our guide today is former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, in his latest book, Defeating big, big Government Socialism. So with that, let's go to our first pull quote. The amazing thing about the American intellectual community's passionate commitment to big government socialism is that it never works. No matter how bad socialism's track record is, intellectuals love the concept because it shifts power from successful entrepreneurs, wealthy business leaders, and ordinary Americans to the elite intelligentsia. In a big government socialist system, it is the intellectuals who have real power. They get to dictate to everyone else how to behave and what to do. In some ways, big government socialism is like the rise of the pigs in George Orwell's classic anti-Marxist novel, Animal Farm. In the beginning, the animal farm was a revolution for fairness for all animals. Equality was the great value of the early animal revolution in Orwell's amazing fable. Then gradually, the pigs, because they were smarter, took power and shifted the system until it was a new dictatorship with pigs rather than humans in charge. All the other animals were subservient. As the essential quote goes, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. By the end, the pigs were occasionally picking out lesser animals to be sold to the butcher to finance their lifestyles. Everything has come full circle. Historically, intellectuals are the pigs of Animal Farm. They know that they are really smart, they read books, and they get degrees from famous institutions that promise them status and authority. They operate as petty dictators in their classes, where the students have a huge incentive to smile and flatter professors who have the power to pass or fail them. Imagine the disgust that the world-class intellectuals face at family dinner with relatives who have less education. Often fail to read books, but somehow are wealthier and more powerful than they are. The professorate has a deep class interest in developing a mechanism that transfers power from their supposed lessers to themselves. Given their IQs, self-ascribed, and their learning, self-touted, it is only natural that they should dominate those who have money and power, but no knowledge or culture. George Orwell's Animal Farm is a great analogy and a very good book. I highly recommend it. And how true the analogy is. So we have our first nugget of wisdom and of liberty. Let's keep going. From the French Enlightenment assault on the aristocracy and the church to the Russian intelligentsia, rallying around Vladimir Lenin and communism to Chinese librarian Mao Zedong leading a bloody cultural revolution, history is filled with arguments for government control over the lesser uneducated parts of the population. The language of big government socialism always condemns an inadequate present and promises a remarkably better, almost utopian future. Thus, the popular analysis and promises of big government socialism with its alluring transfer of power to politicians and bureaucrats have been attractive for people pursuing power throughout the third world. Paul Johnson, in his book, Modern Times, The World from the 20s to the 90s, emphasizes the unusual role of the London School of Economics in destroying progress in Africa. The number of African leaders who applied socialist models to their countries was astonishing. Yet socialism never worked. In country after country with great potential in mining, agriculture, in some cases in oil and gas, the potential for growth and prosperity was simply dissipated. A combination of bad socialist policies discouraged investment and growth. And sheer corruption frightened away investors who relied on honesty to safeguard their investments. Corruption specifically is the enemy of economic growth. People refuse to invest in a country where the politicians may take their property through taxation or confiscation. The result is a steady outflow of money and talent-seeking countries in which the rule of law guarantees opportunity and the right to keep the fruits of your efforts and let's stop here real quick big government by its very nature is extremely corrupt and we have example after example throughout the world of seeing this in real life and i love the fact that uh, the former speaker includes the destroying aspects of the london school of economics from paul johnson's book modern times we have to cover his book this book Paul Johnson is a respected historian who usually gets things right through his rigorous research, what he's known for. And the fact that the Keynesian economist and the socialist economist essentially gave many nations in Africa very bad advice for a very long time, which resulted in many of their countries failing, is just a tragic, tragic episode in history. And finally... In the last 15 to 20 years, African leaders are waking up. They're changing their outlook and combating corruption and installing political and economic policies, which lead away from big government socialism. And they're actually starting to heal and rebound as countries. Now, a great example of a country that combated corruption from its very beginning is Singapore. Let's go back to the book. Lee Kuan Yew, the extraordinary former leader of Singapore who led that island country into becoming one of the richest and most technologically advanced countries in the world, understood thoroughly the dangers of socialist thinking. He had been a graduate student in England after World War II at the time of the labor government's efforts to create a government-dominated socialist system. We were together one weekend when I was speaker, and I asked him what principle he applied to create such a dynamic, modern, and wealthy country in one generation. He replied, it was very simple. Every time I faced a major decision, I asked myself what former Prime Minister Clement Attlee and the Socialists would have done. And then I did exactly the opposite, and it worked 100% percent of the time. You can legitimately ask why would doing the opposite work? The answer lies in the nature of human beings and the anti human requirements of big government socialism. The deepest difference between big government socialism and the American constitutional system built around the practicalities of the human nature is this question of how the world really works. Versus how the intellectuals would like it, would like for it to work. Ultimately, you either design a system that reinforces and supports how people actually behave. Or you design a system that imposes change on people, whether they want it or not. Amen, Mr. Speaker. Way to get that right. And we talked about the rise of the Asian taggers in Liberty Minute 21. And specifically on how Hong Kong, which now tragically has been lost to the world because of China's takeover of the country, how Hong Kong actually thrived and flourished. So finally, why does the American system work so well? And why can't we lose it? Or if we do, we will lose freedom throughout the world. Let's go back to the book. (laughs) The American constitutional system was created by a group of wise, practical politicians who had spent their lifetimes studying various governments, their forms, and their principles, going back to ancient Rome, Greece, and Jerusalem. They were trying to deduce a set of principles about how people could maximize freedom by governing themselves while remaining organized enough to defend society from the outside and domestic efforts to take over and control the people. Virtually all the Founding Fathers were practicing politicians who had spent time winning office and working with other people who had won elections. They were virtually all successful farmers or businessmen, so they had a lot of practical knowledge about how the world worked and how people behaved. They designed the structure of government based on this combination of of historic knowledge, practical knowledge, and real-world experience. That is right. So in today's Liberty Minute, let us cherish our American constitutional system. We still have time to turn things around despite all the bad decisions that have been made in the last 30 years. But time is short. All the corruption, all the lying from our federal government has to stop immediately. And the corruption that is happening, it's coming from both political parties. And we've covered some of these folks in the past on past Liberty Minutes. But the America we know and love is now decaying and declining and is dominated by bureaucracies and power drunk, a power drunk administrative state. But Americans can relight the lamp of liberty and freedom. And as Newt reminds us, we can again create a vibrant, dynamic, entrepreneurial, and merit-based achievement-oriented society in which government is small and opportunity is large. Let's pursue the lamp of liberty and freedom because that is most certainly the road to a flourishing America.